Podcast. You are probably not going to be invited to tell a story. Storytelling is kind of earned by telling stories, and it's a compounding skill. Once you tell a story and people respond to it, they're going to want more. But don't think there's going to be this moment where you're invited to do it. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is a rainy day here in North Carolina. And this episode is brought to you by our sponsors, Ignite Management Services and Liberty Strength. These sponsors help me bring these shows to you each and every week, so I encourage you to click on their links below and check them out. Also, I want to remind you that the Qualified Leadership Book Series, which includes all three of my best-selling leadership books, is now available on my website, johnsrenny.com. You get all three books for 15% off the Amazon and Barnes & Noble price, but this offer is only available on my website. This is the perfect way to get 2024 off to a powerful start. So check it out at johnsrenny.com. Well, that is it. Today, we're going to be talking about leadership storytelling, and my guest is Karen Eber. Karen's TED Talk called How Your Brain Responds to Stories and Why They're Crucial for Leaders has more than 2 million views. Storytelling is essential for leadership, and I'm excited to have an expert in-house to help us understand this important topic. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Karen Eber. Karen is an author, international consultant, and keynote speaker. She has a popular TED Talk called How Your Brain Responds to Stories and Why They're Crucial for Leaders. Karen is the CEO and Chief Storyteller of Eber Leadership Group. She helps Fortune 500 companies build leaders, teams, and cultures one story at a time. Her clients include General Electric, Microsoft, Kate Spade, U.S. Olympic Association, and universities like MIT and Stanford. She is the author of a brand new book called The Perfect Story, How to Tell Stories That Inform, Influence, and Inspire. And I'm excited to have her on the show to learn more about the importance of storytelling for leaders. So Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So excited to be here. I'm excited to meet you. I'm excited to talk about this subject and uh, you're the expert on it. So I'm glad to have you here. Uh, storytelling seems to be an important part of leadership that we sort of miss sometimes. So uh, that's why I think it's good to have you on the show and kind of reinforce this with our listeners. So first of all, what's the role of storytelling in culture overall? Oh, it's everything. A story is going to demonstrate what is reinforced and encouraged. So um, if a leader tells a story about taking their paid time off, and how they spend it completely disconnected. Everyone on the team is going to be more inclined to take their paid time off and fully disconnect. Um, the, the stories that we tell are holding up, here's what we value in this organization and on this team, and here are the things that we don't want. While 
companies spend many thousands of dollars working on their values and their organizational statements and hanging them in the lobby. It's the stories of the day-to-day moments that show what the true culture is and what the story is each day. And so they are just an underused but critical tool to help people connect to what is most valued and meaningful. Why do you think stories are so powerful with us as people? In other words, when when we're with a company and we hear a story, why is it resonating with us so much? Well, there's the emotional piece of it and there's the neuroscience piece of it. So the neuroscience piece is that it is um, first to get more real estate in our head. There's this part of our brain called Wernicke's area that is the only part that's activated when we're listening to someone go through data or we're sitting in a boring meeting. And it's like this sizable walnut on the side of our head. And that's just language comprehension. We we take in words, we know what they mean, and that's it. But when you start painting an illustration of what something could be or what a great leader looks like or um, something that a team did to overcome adversity... We start forming our own mental images. We are almost experiencing this artificial reality simulation of what is being told because our entire brains are starting to be more dynamically engaged. And in fact, there's some research that shows that the listener's brain will light up in the same activity. It's called neural coupling as the storytellers. And so it's this way to be a dynamic, memorable communicator that is going to just have a bigger impact just from real estate alone. But also, stories are connecting us to emotions and to experiences. So if you think about, like, if you take a photo on your phone and you swipe up on it, stamped on that photo is the date, the location, the f-stop, the aperture, like everything that was used to create that photo gets stamped on it. Something similar happens when we're taking information in through our senses. They get stamped with emotions. These experiences get stamped. So think about... Um, when you maybe smell a fragrance that a loved one wore and you immediately go back to that loved one and the afternoon you spent with them, it's because that experience was stamped with emotion and it was tied to the sense of smell. As we're taking in things through our senses, whether that's hearing or seeing or or different experiences, they're getting stamped with emotions and stored in our long-term memory. And that influences our understanding and decision-making. And so it's just this way to create meaning for people in a very different form of communication. I love that. I know for me, at least, a story will just, uh, when I, when I, I'll always remember a story if it's memorable and if it's, you know, and, and I think you're right. It just, it, it imprints itself on us and our emotions are, you know, like uh, you, we, we, we as humans, we love to tell stories or retell stories of things we told because it affected us in an emotional way. So we're like trying to communicate that story. Like I know I'd, I'll tell stories to my sp- spouse of this is what happened and this, you know, and it's like, you know, and so we, we both have that emotional connection to the story. So I do, I do think that that's, uh, uh, I do see that in myself personally. And I saw that myself as a worker, as I work for people who were good at storytelling, you you sort of connect with that story better than just here's, you know, the information of the day. So I, I do think that that's um, something that happens. But I also think that there's good stories and bad stories. So um, what makes a great story? In your- yeah, first, it starts with the audience. Even if you know the idea you want to share or, um, you know, what the story is about, a story begins with your audience because you're going to tell it differently to each audience you're talking to. So um, first, you want to know who who is this for? 
And, you know, what's your basic understanding of what this audience shares in common? Why are they together in whatever sense for hybrid, virtual, in-person? Um, and you want to get a sense of, you know, what are their professional demographics and personal demographics? It's almost like you want a picture of we're seated at a table together. What would this person be like? So I could make all the examples and fun parts of the story feel really relatable. So that's the first part. But the second part is getting really clear on um, what is that internal shift? What do we want this audience to think or feel as a result of the story? Because we want to connect them to the emotions and, and have that experience. The second is what do we want them to know or do? So based on that emotional shift, what is the action we want them to take? What do we want them to do different? What is their mindset today? And what might be an obstacle? And so in five minutes, I can sit down and, and write a sentence for each of those just to help me get really clear on who is this audience, because I am going to tell stories differently and we already do. Think about um, if a loved one, maybe a, a relative that doesn't see you very often, asks you about what you do for a living, you probably give the really watered down version and simple terms, almost like you're talking to elementary school age kids. Yeah. But if you meet someone at a networking event in the same industry, you are going to geek out and tell the most technical, yeah. detailed version. And that's because we naturally do that. And so the same thing happens. So great story starts with audience. Um, it creates this shift in emotion, which we can touch on more. And it um, has a basic structure. You know, we've all sat through stories that were just painful. <laughs> they often look something like, um, it was Tuesday and I was going out to meet my friend for lunch and actually, wait, was it Monday? I had been Monday because it was raining and I was running late. <laughs> yes. It was a Tuesday. Like there's no story. And so you're listening like, and your, your thumb is looking for the fast forward button that you use on social media to move it forward. So a great story is going to connect us to these things. We're going to feel like it's, it's told for us. And there's a structure that we can follow because that structure is not only going to make it easier for the storyteller, but it's going to make it easier for the audience. And then it's going to create connection. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think the, the idea of consider the audience is really important because I think I've sat through many corporate presentations where I'm like, you're looking around, everybody's asleep, you know, and, and did you consider the audience? What are you presenting that's going to be impactful to them? So I think it's a really important uh, but the, let's just say one thing on that because we do it so well intended, but we've all done it. And here's what to yeah. watch for. We tell the story we want to tell, not the story the audience wants to hear. Yeah. So maybe there's a story we're super excited about, but you still have to take that story and make it relatable to the audience. Like just because you love it doesn't mean it's the right one for that moment. So notice those where you're trying to lead with that story. Maybe it's your greatest hits that... Is it serving what is most helpful? Because we get caught up in those moments. There's a reason why we're doing it. It feels good, but it might not be the right one. That's what you want to watch for. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. One of the things I've heard too about storytelling is the idea of tension. You know, you create the tension and, and we as humans, we just want to know how is this getting resolved? And so a great story will also create that tension, relieve it a little bit, create it a little bit, but you always come to the conclusion where that tension's relieved at the end so that you... You, you you don't miss out on the here's the point of the story type of thing because uh, I've seen some storytellers where they leave you in tension you're like well then what happened <laughs> you're like I, you, and you, you, can. you, you can't take it you're like yeah I yeah yeah happens, so. and let's let's talk about what's happening because the the reason for tension and this um resolution is 
based on neuroscience. So there are natural ways that our brain will respond to information and communication and stories. And I call them the five factory settings of the brain where these behaviors are going to happen. And so it's up to you to harness them. So the first one is this idea that your brain is lazy. So think about those days that you finish work and you're at home and you're exhausted and you put on that show that you have streamed so many times before. You can almost recite the dialogue, <laughs> but you turn it on because your brain says like, we don't want to think. We're yeah. not going to do any more yeah. hard work. And that's this idea that your brain is lazy. So goal of the brain, keep human alive. You're alive yesterday. Let's do things the exact same way because that seemed to <laughs> right. work. That worked. And yeah. So today, anything that is new or different requires the brain to spend calories. So the brain is like the most miserly broker of calories. Some are dedicated. You can't, they're non-negotiables for breathing, running your body, all the systems. But then there's the bonus fund that it gets to choose where it spends them. And this is effort, attention, focus. So the story that isn't building enough tension, meaning it's really predictable. There's no questioning what's going to happen. We saw it coming from a mile away um, or several kilometers away. Like that doesn't have enough tension. The brain wants to have something to chew on that it's like, I think I know where this is going, but I don't exactly yes. know. There's something here that needs, there's some friction. There's something that needs resolution. That is going to require the brain to spend calories. So this first factory saying is that your brain is lazy, but it pairs with the second one, which is that your brain is always making assumptions mm -hmm. and predictions because the faster it can detect and decide and plan from, from danger to how am I setting my foot down as I go down the stairs, the faster the brain can be in lazy mode and conserve calories. So this is why you are trying to predict the end of the movie or you are trying to guess what the person says or the speaker doesn't tell the full ending of the story and the brain is still working on it because it wants to reach its own piece. So you can tell a story that either leans into those assumptions and predictions or um, challenges them and almost makes the brain hit that speed bump and go, wait, what? I wasn't thinking that. Yeah. Okay. That's great. So those are some really good tips. If you're, you know, if you're considering storytelling in, in something you're doing, you know, have you, have you created enough tension? Have you created interesting tension, um, unpredictable tension? I, I, that's kind of interesting. Uh, I, I like the idea. Of it as, sorry, I was just saying, even thinking of it as, how do we make sure that I don't let their brains be lazy? Which yeah. by the way, this isn't just storytelling. This is communicating. Yeah. It could be, how am I organizing this? What specific words am I putting in that are unexpected? If you think that each time before you are trying to communicate, it at least makes you aware and be more enticed to, to try some different things. Yeah, I like it. it it's, it's, it's important. It's really important. Um, so how should leaders use storytelling? So we're, we're, you know, we're responsible for an organization achieving some sort of an objective. We get a bunch of people. So how do we use storytelling to help us motivate people to, you know, to get things done. To recognize that another thing that happens neurologically is that as I am listening to you tell a story, my brain responds to the vulnerability of you telling one. And that doesn't mean that you're sharing a private moment or anything extremely personal. It's that um, you know how you see like a picture of a puppy and you're, you, oh, we respond to vulnerability. And so we do respond neurologically when someone's sharing a story. And the more um, authentic and genuine and true that feels, it's almost like our brain is saying, wow, he trusts me enough to share this with me. 
And I experience empathy towards you in that moment of like, okay, we're having a connection because you're sharing a story. I'm experiencing empathy. It creates this release of oxytocin and dopamine in the brain. You can't command that or will that. That is the, the cocktail there is one of connection and genuine response. And so the more that is released, the more genuine and real that I feel you're being, the more trust I actually experience towards you. So as a leader, it is a way to not only share what you're trying to do, where you're going, why you can't stay here, but it's also a way to help people start to feel trust in what you're doing. You're not just up there giving the update. You are wrapping it in a story that's going to help us connect to those emotions and start to feel something different. And so the win is as often as possible whether that's a one-on-one, whether that is looking back over the past month or at a team retreat or um, celebrating people, the the team that did something that you want more of, what great looks like as a leader, why we can't see here and where we're going. What I find is that um, there's always this fear of how many stories are too many or how long does the story need to be or what if I have to and insert whatever mental protest is going on And the answer is always like, you're not doing it enough. You're not going to overtell stories. If you're doing this well, you're not going to overtell stories. You're not going to tell stories that are too long. The, The mental gymnastics prevent us from doing it. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. As a leader, you're responsible for the mission and the people assigned to you. Regardless of the size of your team, employees are depending on you for their lives and careers. For the sake of your team and the people who entrust you with this role, you need to master the skills to become a great leader. Best-selling leadership author John Rennie is proud to introduce the Qualified Leadership Book Series. This new series teaches you how to become a people-centered leader. Great leaders know that employees who are respected, appreciated, and allowed to grow will go the extra mile. These books provide real-world leadership wisdom written from a hands-on perspective. If you want to be a more effective leader, this is the one book series you should read this year. This three-book series contains the following best-selling leadership books. I Have the Watch, You Have the Watch, and All in the Same Boat for one low price of $39.99. Begin your journey to become a leader worth following. Go to johnsrenny.com and get your order in today. This episode is brought to you by Ignite Management Services. Ignite is led by Mike Watson, who you might remember from episode 137. Mike and his team believe that everything starts with leadership, whether it's strategy execution or cultural transformation. It's the role of the leader to create the conditions for their people to succeed. The team at Ignite can help you develop critical habits to enhance your leadership capability and transform your business. Ignite Management is now offering the Resilient Leadership Assessment Tool. This is an online questionnaire designed to assess and guide leadership development, coaching, and team building. It provides leaders an opportunity to gain insights into their leadership strengths and development needs. After taking this assessment, you will receive a custom detailed report that provides practical and actionable recommendations to enhance your effectiveness. I have taken this assessment myself and found it to be extremely valuable in helping me make changes to my leadership approach. Right now, Ignite is offering 15% off the price of this tool to the deep leadership audience. Go to ignitemanagement.ca and enter the code START15 at checkout to get started today. This episode is brought to you by Jeremy Clevenger at Liberty Strength. 
As a high-performing leader, you know that leadership isn't about telling people what to do. It's about leading by example. And for most people, the one area that they are lacking when it comes to leading by example is their health and fitness. By improving your health and fitness, every other area of your life improves. Your energy skyrockets, your sleep improves, your confidence increases, and more. But how can you get and stay fit as a busy leader? Well, you do what you've always done. You hire the best people for the job. Don't struggle on your own. Put Liberty's strength in your corner. Jeremy and his team will work with you to take your physique, mindset, nutritional habits, and more to the next level with his step-by-step, all-inclusive coaching program. I've worked with Liberty Strength for the past two years, and I'm in the best shape of my life, and I'm still hitting strength personal records at 56 years old. If you want to step up your game, reach out to Jeremy at libertystrengthtx.com to find out more and get your initial consultation scheduled with him today. That makes sense. Uh, you know, and I was just thinking as you were talking is that, um, you know, they, they, some, oftentimes those stories don't need to be long to be able to to be able to make a point or to, to connect um, with, you know, I, I, you know, one, one of the things I do typically when I take over a manufacturing plant is I get rid of all the uh, assigned parking. I don't believe in that. I believe that everybody is important to the business. And so sort of, you know, I'll say that on the first time I meet people and it's a short story, but everybody's like, oh, okay. So I know what, I know, I know what's important to him just in that one little story, because it, you know, you're sending a message as to what's important. But I, one of the things I like what you said was this idea, idea that uh, authenticity is really critical in, in leadership. And, and the more we believe our leaders are authentic and they're coming from the heart and you're seeing their true self, is you trust them more. And so you're willing to listen to them more. And I I saw in my corporate career, a lot of kind of, I, I call them phony managers who would get up there and, you know, say buzzwords. And you're just like, this person doesn't believe any of this. You know, they don't believe any of it, but they're up there talking and and you lose that trust and you lose that connection. I think that's that's important too. Authenticity is critical. We are excellent detectors of what feels like manipulation. And yeah. so if someone is too perfect, and I don't mean that they haven't practiced and tried to bring their best self forward. It just means this feels like information is being withheld and and put together in a way that feels very like I'm not being given everything here. And this all feels like a facade. You do not experience the release of the oxytocin and dopamine. You don't experience the increase in empathy and trust. It's more your brain kind of like pays attention, drips off, pays attention, drips off. Um, and it's actually just a waste of attention. You know, the most precious thing that people can give us is their attention and focus. Yet we squander it all day because <laughs> we're not stopping to think about how to connect with them. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the next question for you because one of the challenges I saw, you know, I worked 22 years in corporate and I saw presenting data is one of the biggest challenges I see with leaders. They'll be up there and show charts and graphs and, um, you know, you look around the room, everybody's fading, you know, and so... How can we use stories when we're presenting data or information that that may be somewhat boring? Sure. Well, first is data never speaks for itself. We love to think that it is. It's fact. We put up the chart. The data speaks for itself. But here's the flaw in that. If I put up an ink blot and I ask 10 of us listening in, um, what do you see? There'd be 10 different answers. There would be, you know... Mm. I see a vertebrae, I see a skeleton, I see a duck, I see a bunny. And that's because 
when we take in information through our senses, they get stamped with emotion to shorten our long-term memory. When we see an image, when we're receiving information, our brain is subconsciously, before we're even aware, trying to detect what that is. This goes into the predictions and assumptions. So we're looking at this image and our brain is like, do we know what this is? Is this related to something we know? What What is this? And the problem is we each have different experiences. So someone does see a bunny, someone mm. does see a skeleton, someone does see, you know, and they're all going to be different. So when you say the data speaks for itself, but you're not taking people through it, what's happening is there's 10 different interpretations of that data and we don't realize it. And I've done this with a really simple chart, you know, a simple bar graph that asks a question and shows some results. And I'll ask people, why do you think this is? And sure enough, there's all these different opinions. So then it's very easy to see, well, isn't that a mistake then? If we're not taking people through it and explaining it, we're all in different places. So how can you have a discussion? This is often showing up as, um, what's the source of this data? Do we really believe in it? Do our customers really know what they want? I, no, 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 there's not enough of a sample here. And it's this discussion about the data and the quality of the data and not what it means. So yeah. when you take people through the story of the data, when you are sharing that, you are bringing everyone to the same starting line to then have a discussion and even disagree. But when you don't, you are leaving it up to everyone's individual interpretation, which is going to be different in ways that you would not even imagine. So recognizing that helps people start to see, okay, we can start this in a different way. Um, I was working with someone that got a message from a CEO that said, you are presenting to the CEO. Well, <laughs> someone on his staff, right? You're presenting to the CEO next week. You have five minutes. You need to give an update on your project and share your recommendations. And he's a data analytics person. Instinct is, let me get out my charts. Let me find the coolest yeah. view in Tableau and put this up. But what he did instead is told a story about decorating his home for the holidays and getting ready to decorate a holiday tree, opens the box and finds the ornament from his daughter's first Christmas. And he tells this story and connects it to their product and then gave the other updates that he was supposed to do. That day, five people gave updates to the CEO. He was the only one that told the story, and he was the only one that the CEO walked up to after starting to talk about his own children and their first Christmas and having this connection. Oh, wow. Five minutes to talk to the CEO tells you, we don't have time to tell a story, but that story made the difference in that interaction and, and how it can be memorable. And so it didn't have to be long, but it connected to the emotion that was important for where he was going to go. Oh, that is really powerful. I, I really like what you said there, to, you know, is do you have to tell the story of the data and, and it's a story. And I think, and if you, and, you know, include as, as the example you mentioned, like a personal side of the story, it's going to make it more memorable. And, you know, I, I really like that idea. And I, and I can't think of how many presentations I sat through uh, where I looked at data and I looked through at the crowd and everyone's sort of fading because it wasn't, like you said, I think we all are looking at the data in different ways. We're, we're thinking thoughts like, is is that, you know, is that, isn't that, that, that's, is that an accurate picture? Is this person just trying to get me to think a certain way? I don't believe it. And uh, versus really following along like a story, like really what's, you know, why, you know, this is what I expected to happen. This is what I saw that happened. This is what we really need to happen, have happened. Like there's a whole story there. And, and I like that idea of presenting 
uh, the story of the data. Uh, well, and here's the secret, because sometimes storytelling with data has nothing to do with the data. So often we'll have data uh, where a decision's needed or there's um, just a mental block. So uh, I was working with a company that had a cost of quality issue in the millions. Mm. And the thing about quality is when it's that repetitive, someone knows. It's not a operational problem. It's a communication problem. And what happens is like what many great leadership teams do of every month, they're going through the financials and you see this quality problem growing. And so, well, we need more, we need more operations, more approvers, more constraints, more layer, layer every week, uh, every month, yet nothing was changing. And when I looked at it, I recognized this is a psychological safety issue. Because someone knows and they're not coming forward or they're coming forward and they're not being heard or we're not asking the questions. Like when you see something that great, maybe let's look around it and see what else is happening. However, this leadership team never wanted to discuss the data, never wanted to ask the questions because if they did, it would mean that someone had made a mistake or they missed this as the leader. And instead, month after month, more rules and policies that weren't helping so I told the team the stories of NASA from the Apollo to the Challenger to the Columbia disasters, where unfortunately astronauts' lives were lost. And in the after-action reviews for each, NASA found that people knew there were problems and they either weren't coming forward or because they thought they would be blamed. They thought someone maybe more senior would escalate it. They thought that... Um, you know, there were there there were all of these really good assumptions because no one ever wanted the outcomes that they did. But it was a communication breakdown, and how NASA learned this and recognized it, and have changed their culture and changed their communications. And as I'm telling the story, what happened is the defensiveness of this team came down because now this isn't just our leadership failure; others have experienced problems too, and it it removed the shame. So now they were willing to have a different type of discussion and recognize maybe we should be asking different questions. Maybe we should look at this. And so sometimes it's not just the story of the data. Sometimes you need to tell a story that does not have anything to do with the data, but connects to the takeaway or the emotion or the shift that you need for the group to make. And when it is really heated, when there's a lot of debate, these stories work best because... I can really focus on the story and I'm not disagreeing in my head about the data. One of the challenges when you're telling a story about the data is there are sometimes there's mental protests. But if you tell a story about a different topic, I'm going to get connected to those emotions and now I'm going to feel it stronger and can take that lens and apply it to the data. That makes a lot of sense. You, you touched on psychological safety. I just want to touch about on that a little bit. Um, you know, I, I've worked for companies that were like, I call them the good news companies. You never brought by bad information forward, right? You always hid the bad. You you, you only talked about the good. Success and theater. Yeah. And, and it was, there was, a, there was no psychological safety. So you were afraid because, you know, they would shoot the messenger, right? So it was the good news company. It was all good news all the time, but, it, but underneath the surface, there was a lot of problems. So how do we, um, you know, what you mentioned storytelling is a way, but are there other ways that we can build psychological safety in an organization? Why is that important? So it is the heart of all work, right? So the way I think about it is that when um, when psychological safety is present, 
all of our energy goes to doing the work. And when it isn't present, all of our energy goes to the way work is done. So think about maybe the inconsistent leader and you're now debating which version of this person is showing up and now we have to plan for meeting A, B, C, D, E because we just don't know what's going to happen. And so now we're not just doing the work for the meeting, we're contingency planning and that's a lot of energy because we don't know what's going to happen. But when it is present, all of that energy is going to the work. We're not spending all our time like, can I say this? Is it safe to say this? What's the fear? And that is so critical in work because we are, our energy is never more um, constrained than it is now. And there's never a state where you've achieved psychological safety, right? It's going to go up and down, even with a leader that you trust. They might have a bad day. They say something that feels a little uncomfortable, and now you're a little more reserved. So stories are a way to invite, um, I care what you have to say. You know, even even statements like, um, as you're coming up to a milestone, like, you know what, we, this is really important to get right. Maybe, maybe lives are at stake. Like, let's talk about what, what have we not considered? Doesn't have to be a full-blown story, but the questions that you ask and the stories that you share are going to either decrease the energy that's going to all those other things and allow for people to focus on the work or increase it. And stories are such a helpful way to just cut through that and reinforce more of what you want. Yeah, yeah, I can see, you know, like, like, you know, r- rumors, you know, rumors and the word gets out when when things happen. And I can imagine if, you know, if the CEO or or some senior leader gets bad information, and instead of firing the messenger, you know, ask the deeper questions and, 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 and starts listening and learning, and then other people find out about it. And then, and then he at the next staff meeting, or whatever says, this 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 bad news came to me. This is what what I'm doing about it. This we we've been ignoring the the bad, bad data for too long, and and I appreciate this person bringing it to me. And this is what we're going to do about it. I imagine that is one of those moments where it's sort of like it's communicating that psychological, you know, like a psychological positive safety message to to all the employees that like this is this is an example of 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 the CEO stepping up and saying, you know, hey, you you're you're safe, bring that information. And uh, you know, those even, so I think those moments are really important. For sure. And to even build on that, if the CEO said, you know, I recognize I made a mistake. Yeah. I realize I should have been asking this question sooner. And some of you might not have felt comfortable mm. sharing that. So yes. here's what I want. Like things like that, you feel an immediate like Yes or no. And so to the extent that we can say, hey, let's talk about the mistakes we made and what we learned from it Mm. and make it okay to have those discussions. It's huge. Yeah, I can see that as being like a pivoting moment for a company that maybe had been a good news company for years. And then they said, you know what, we're not doing that anymore. I recognize this is what's happening. You know, someone someone pointing out the the elephant in the room is, is really important. Uh, so excellent. That is really, really important stuff to think about for sure. What final message would you like to leave with our listeners about this topic of storytelling? You are probably not going to be invited to tell a story. We'd love to think that, you know, you're, you're given the opportunity to maybe give a presentation or an update and it's going to be so very clear that you have to tell a story, but really, um, storytelling is kind of earned by telling stories and it's a compounding skill. Once you tell a story and people respond to it, they're going to want more. 
But don't think there's going to be this moment where you're invited to do it. And sometimes there's this apprehension because I only have five minutes with the CEO or I have to present data or no one else around me is doing this. But don't lower yourself to a different standard, set a new standard, help make advantages in the way we're communicating and in people's understanding by stepping forward and doing this and showing there's a more dynamic way. I love it. So take the opportunity to tell your story and uh, don't wait for permission. I I absolutely love that message. Uh, So listeners, a lot here to digest. Storytelling is really important for leadership as you learn uh, from what Karen has shared. Um, So Karen, how can uh, people find out more about you, uh, your new book and the services you offer? Best place is my website, which is my name, which is in the notes. Um, In there, there's a link to the book. It's everywhere they're sold. And I have a a blog that has different stories about leadership teams and culture if you want to poke around. And the blog is free, I assume? It is free, yeah. (laughs) We like to point out to our listeners whether it's free resources. So if uh, storytelling is something that you, uh, this this conversation is resonating with you, you think you need to do more of it, I highly encourage you to uh, to seek out Karen. Look for her new book. Uh, the links are in the show notes below. Uh, but also, she's got a website full of great information. Uh, but certainly, if you've got questions, uh, she's the person to talk to to get the answers. She's done it. And also, we'll put a link to uh, your TED Talk as well. I think that's a good way to learn. TED Talks are a great way to listen to a story. So uh, it's a great way to learn a subject. And so we'll put that link in there as well. Karen, I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing uh, your expertise about this important topic. Thank you for having me. Thanks again. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Reddy saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid.